Welcome to Bible Study. This is Nick Krita, your host. Thank you for tuning in. Always a pleasure to invite you and welcome you to our uh, program. It's again another important Bible study, I will say, because we are going to talk about receiving an unshakable kingdom. We live in uh, these days in times of trouble and uncertainty and everything is unstable in this world. But the promise is that God will give us a kingdom, will be part of that kingdom where troubles and uh, struggle and all those things will be not in mind. I just like to welcome um, the panel for today. Thank you, Will, for joining us. Thank you, Nick. It's a privilege to speak about an unshakable kingdom amidst mm. a world that is shaking apart at the moment. Yes, so true. Joe, it's good true. to have you with us as well. Well, thank you, Nick. It's great to be here again. What a privilege. And Len, thank you for joining Thank you, Nick, and hello, listeners. And I want to be part of this unshakable kingdom, and I hope you do too. And Helen, it's good to have you with us too. Thank you very much, Nick. It's a pleasure to be here and a privilege. Ken, thank you for joining. Thank you, Nick. It's always a privilege to be here. And it's interesting, uh, today's study, in these very, very hard times, that there's some good news ahead for us all. And Lija, it's good to have you with us too. I'm very pleased and I feel very blessed. Thank you. Brenton, you are our facilitator for today. Thank you for joining this program and thank you for working this uh, Bible study, putting together and uh, please take take it through. Yeah, Thank you, Nick. It's a pleasure to be on with our um, panel and to be looking at this very important subject. Thank you, Ken, for your comments about this because we do live in shall we say, fairly shaking times. Will's alluded to it as well. And uh, there was a statement here that I, I just wanted to share with you. We are now in the shaking time, the time when everything that can be shaken will be shaken. I believe it's talking spiritually as well as politically. The Lord will not excuse those who know the truth if they do not in word or deed obey its commands or his commands. I believe it's very important for ourselves and our listeners to be obedient to the Lord when he calls. And I wonder, Ken, would you like to share a prayer with us, please, because we really need the Holy Spirit to guide before we get underway. Thank you. Heavenly Father, Lord God, thank you that we're able to meet here again today to put your word forward. Lord God, it's it's our privilege to be able to do this. And we're so grateful, Lord God, that we have your word to put out over the airwaves. Heavenly Father, we're living in very, very difficult times. Yes. And many people around the world are really troubled at what's going on. But Lord, your word is steadfast and tells us all things from the start to the beginning. Today we have extra good news, Lord God, and we pray that all our listeners will take heed of this and look into it and realize that there are better days ahead. Yes. We just have to focus on Jesus and mm. turn to God. Yes. who is the author and finisher of all that we do. We're just grateful, Lord God, we have this wonderful opportunity, and we pray, Lord God, all our words may be acceptable in your sight. In the name of Jesus, amen. Mm. Amen. amen. Thank you, Ken. Um, as we reflect on the studies we've been doing over the last few weeks, I've listed a couple of key points here that um, perhaps by way of revision it might be worth us just thinking about as we move into our study today. 
When Paul wrote the book of Hebrews, it was basically a sermon. I think we touched on that very early in our studies together. And he was talking to a group of people who were church members primarily. He was talking to a group of people who were becoming weary. They were in danger of losing their Christian experience and the confidence due to persecution, ridicule, confiscation of property, and probably the most important one, some of them wondered when the Lord was ever going to return because there didn't seem to be a great deal of evidence that uh, he was coming back again as he had promised in John 14. Paul warned them not to cast away their confidence and he declared that he who shall come will come. In other words, Paul was 100% focused on the fact that the Lord was going to return and he was urging, you could almost sense he was pleading with um, those that he was writing to, to hold fast, to keep going. Now is not the time to throw away your confidence. Now is not the time to say, well, I don't think the Lord's coming for many, many years. We'll just cruise along and see how we go. He warned them against looking back, though, to the old covenant system of animal sacrifices. Now, this would have been front and centre for the Jewish audience that he was writing to primarily because they were inured in all of the Old Testament sacrifices and rituals. And he declared in Hebrews 10.4, it is not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. I think that's very relevant to us in 2022. In uh, researching this, it's interesting to note there are at least 30 positive statements in the book of Hebrews where Paul exhorts them to look to the once-for-all sacrifice of Jesus as their hope for the present and the future. But above all, he presents Jesus, our great high priest, as both a perfect sacrifice and a perfect mediator before the Father in heaven. Moving on from that, um, we're going to focus our study today uh, primarily in the book of Hebrews chapter 12 with some overlap into chapter 13 and some supporting uh, verses from the Old Testament and elsewhere. So listeners, hang on to your seats, have your Bibles ready because we're going to be looking at a few texts. Len, I wondered if you would um, start us off um, by reading Hebrews 12, 22 and 23, where it makes an interesting comment about Christ. Thanks. Okay, well, the writer of Hebrews is pointing the people forward to the the kingdom of God in uh, after the return of Jesus. And Hebrews 12, verse 22 and 23 says, But you've come to Mount Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem. You can yes. see what it's talking about here, the city of the living God. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all men, the spirits of righteous men made perfect. All right. Now, the interesting phrase here is to the church of the firstborn. It is interesting, isn't it? Now, you can take this two ways, but I think it means to the church of Christ. And I want to go back to Colossians and have a look at Colossians chapter 1, okay. Colossians one fifteen. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn, over all creation. 
Now, I know the Jehovah Witness people get a bit hung up on this and they say, well, if Jesus was a firstborn, that means he was created being, therefore he is not God. But you must realise the word firstborn has more than one meaning. Yes, it does. And the word firstborn, translated from the the Greek prototokos, prototokos, (laughs) which really means preeminent, the most important. So the church of the firstborn is really talking about the church of Christ, Christ's church. And that's good because if it's a different church, well, I don't think I want to be in it. What I've been sharing with you, I could probably summarize this way. We are the firstborn because we share the inheritance of the firstborn par excellence. Jesus Christ. Thus, we have come not as guests, but as citizens. Now, what I was saying before, that the church of the firstborn is really meaning the church of Christ, Christ's church. But because of that, we then become, if you like, firstborn because we share, if you like, in his preeminence. We are a special people, as the Apostle Peter pointed out. When I say we, I'm not just talking about us on the panel. I'm talking about God's faithful people, whichever age they've lived in, back in the time when Hebrews was written or the present time or even in some future time. Thanks, Lynn. You've summarised that well. Nick, did you have a comment? I just want to mention a couple of things there, uh, Brenton. Uh, There were words mentioned like, Kingdom, uh, citizenship, uh, yes, uh, yes, all, all of those, those things. Yep. In in accordance also with the, the firstborn, and Len uh, alluded to how some people just uh, um, applied differently, you know, uh, on that passage in regard to Jesus, you know. Uh, mm. It's um, actually very important in the way it is applied. Yes, but what I wanted to say here is that. When is referred to Jesus as the firstborn, and particularly in the New Testament, is because when Jesus was interpreted, to put it this way, in 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 a humanly body, mm-hmm. God looked at him at his uh, firstborn. It's very interesting this aspect because Jesus was also named in you know names like Christ or Jesus, which refers to the Son of Man, or the Son of God. Uh, there are a couple of things there which we can go deeper. Is probably not today's study to look into that. But uh, if you want to get bogged into uh, some uh, passages of the Bible, not looking into the context, you can. And that's the danger. But what we want to understand today is that uh, Jesus is the one who will put in place this unshakable kingdom, which we are yes. going to talk about yep. today. Yep, that's true. It's a good thought. Panel, any, any comments from any of our other panel members regarding that? How do you feel personally, Helen, about um, being a member of the Church of the Firstborn? How does that make you feel? It's good news. It's great <laughs> news. Not good, good news. news. It's great news. Yeah. <laughs> you know, in just what Nick was saying, I, I looked up Hebrews 1 verse Six makes it very clear that when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all the angels of God worship him. 
you know, so it definitely is talking about Christ. And because we love him, because we follow him, and because we accept his his sacrifice for our sins, um, we are part of that firstborn church. Wonderful. Mm. Joe. verse that comes to my mind, Brenton, is in 1 John 3, 1 and 2, Behold what manner of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. And this is the good bit. Beloved, we are now children of God, and what will be has not yet been revealed. We know that when Christ appears, we will be like him, for we will see him as he is. And I think this is kind of reflecting to Mount Zion, isn't it? Uh, Very much so, Joe. very much so. It's interesting you raised those verses because uh, I did a Zoom uh, prayer meeting on Tuesday evening. And this is the chapter we've been studying, First John 3. <laughs> and when he uses, when John uses the word behold, it's almost as though he's sitting back in absolute amazement and saying, how can the God of heaven accept us as sons and daughters of God? But he does. <laughs> That's the good news. Ken, what do you think? Do you reckon it's good news? Yes, uh, I guess like many Christians today, I find it incredibly difficult to be honest with you all that we can come to this conclusion as you've just mentioned that the God of heaven, the God of the universe has chosen us and welcomed us into his eternal kingdom it's just mind blowing and I really have trouble grasping it to be honest with you Ken that was exactly the word I was thinking of, mind blowing (laughs) it's uh, it's just so so much Will, how does it make you feel to, to know that, that we are sons and daughters of God, as Joe mentioned from First John 3? Well, when you were talking about the firstborn, and I don't want to uh, belabor that point, the prototokos in, uh, in Greek, you know, Paul <clears throat> excitedly emphasizes uh, Christ's position. It's not a genealogy thing. It's no. position as the eldest brother of the family of the redeemed. You know, the ultimate purpose of the plan of salvation is the restoration of the unity in the family of God's kingdom, so that God may be all in all. Now, in this family, Christ, as the elder brother, has traveled the way before us and set the example. And though he is perfect and divine, he is not ashamed to call us who follow him in his footsteps. His brethren. Boy, is that good news or not? Uh, it is good news. <laughs> and so he has walked the way before us and he invites us into his presence to become uh, brothers and sisters in Christ. And mm. um, it's, a, it's a wonderful redemption. I could talk on this forever, but I'd rather <laughs> Our time is limited, Will, but thank you for your thoughts. Len, you had something to share with us too. The church... The true church of God, the church of Christ, the church of the firstborn, is described as being a victorious church. Yes. Now. Yes, it is. Whose side do you like to be on? The side that wins or the side that loses? Well, I want to be on the winning side. Amen. So as far as good news is concerned, it's good news for me because I like to be a winner rather than a loser. I like your approach. Nick and Lydia, what, what, what are your thoughts on this briefly? I would like to say that being the firstborn, I felt being firstborn when I committed my life 
to God. Yes. And of course, it's a process, but becoming first born is happening to me every day, every moment. It's a, it's, it's a transformation process in me, in my heart. And I'm very happy because when this transformation is happening moment by moment in, in my life, I feel growing, I feel expanding, yes. Yes. I feel becoming yep. exactly like Jesus, yeah. the way he wants us to be. Mm. And praise mm. the Lord for that. I'm very Amen. Happy. That's, that's good news. That's really good news. Joe, um, there was a section that was mentioned uh, in what was read earlier on by Len. It touched on God as judge. Uh, that was in verse 23 of Hebrews 12. wondered if you could just reflect on that for a minute, perhaps by comparing it maybe with Hebrews 10.19. It's a big subject. I recognize that, but I'm sure you'll be able to give us some light and some uh, idea on this. Thanks, Joe. I'll certainly try. <laughs> well, as Glenn had discussed the first part of that text, um, the Church of the Firstborn, it goes on to say whose names are written in heaven. Yes. And I'd like to just contrast that with what it says in Jeremiah. They will disappear like names written in the dust because they have abandoned you, the Lord, the Lord, sorry, the spring of fresh water. Lord, you are the hope of Israel. So contrast your name written in heaven as opposed to just scrawled in the dust which the wind blows Blows away. away. It's kind of poignant, isn't it? Mm. And then we come to the bit, you have come to God, the judge of all. Now, in in the Ethiopic version, it says the judge of righteousness or the righteous judge. Now, some of us feel some trepidation when it comes to facing court or the judge or any judge for that matter. And in this case, but in this case, rather, God's people do not need to fear, feel fear, you know, as part of this judgment process, because it's mainly to, it's basically sitting down. If we look at the context of Daniel, in Daniel 7, 9, 10, 22, we are, we're given a scene in heaven and it says that, I beheld till the thrones were set down and the ancient of days that is God did sit. And it goes on to describe the appearance of God as a fiery flame, pure wool and so forth. And a fiery stream issued and came from before him and thousands and thousands ministered unto him. I think we mentioned about thousands of angels in a previous text in Hebrew. We did. We did. Yes. Mm -hmm. And so we have this scene. And judgment, the judgment was set and the books were opened. Opened, And so what we're looking at is God is looking at basically what has happened, what has happened on this planet. And it says in verse 22, until the ancient of days came and the judgment was given to the saints of the Most High, and the time came that the saints possessed the kingdom. Now so much is wrapped up in just that one verse Yes. So we see the ancient of days, that is God, who comes and sits as a judge upon this little horn or the Antichrist um, and judges and condemns and punishes it. And then, of course, the judgment was given to the saints of the Most High. So the records of the sin of those who have made God their refuge, you know, their characters, they, these things have been deleted and expunged through the blood of the Lamb. And Good the news. Problem- 
Absolutely. Something Absolutely good news. Yeah. Well, I certainly wouldn't want to face my record. <laughs> I don't <laughs> I think, think any anyone, of us would, Joe. No, I don't think so. Through the blood yeah. of the Lamb and power, dominion, yeah. authority mm. given yeah. to them with Christ. And, of course, and the time came that the saints possessed the kingdom. And this is Mount Zion, isn't yes. it? We can link Daniel, we can link Mm. Hebrews and Revelation. So I think this kind of sums it up a little, a bit. So the judgment, there's no need to fear. Only the guilty need fear the judgment. But those who have made God their refuge, they have placed their faith in him, he will not let down. No. We will be unshaken. (laughs) Yes, that's part of the unshakable kingdom. Len, you had a comment for us regarding it too. Well, I don't have just a comment. I've got a spanner to throw into the works. Have you? That's nice. (laughs) Yes. Now, there in Hebrews chapter 12, Mm. verse 23, it says, You have come to God, the judge of all men. But I've got a couple of texts to share with you. and Sure. And I'm not going to actually provide the answer. I'm just going to throw the spanner in the works. It's there identifying you've come to God, the judge of earth. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And then in John 5.22, For not even the Father judges anyone, but he's given all judgment to the Son. And then in John 5.30, And he gave him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. So the question is, who is the judge? Panel, any comments? Is it God the Father or is it Christ? It's Jesus. Jesus will be the judge. Lydia, can you explain that a little bit more? How can he be our judge as well as our advocate? Do you see the two things tying in together, meshing together? Jesus is the mediator at this moment in heaven at the right hand of God, who is the king. Mm. But uh, God is going to give him this beautiful mandate of being the judge because he's the one who became victorious through death. Yes. And yep, because of that, thought. because of his blood and his mm. suffering on the cross, his voluntary perfect sacrifice, because of this, he will be the judge. Yeah. That, thanks, Lydia. That's very good. Nick? Maybe going just back a little bit on um, what Joe was saying that we as sinners, we may not desire or wish to to come before, you know, of those books, you know, where um, yes. all the deeds are written. But what I would like to add there is that unless, unless we confess our sins, and when we confess our sins, we should be confident that we have at the right hand an advocate, a father, an mm. advocate, advocate, mm. Jesus yes. Christ. And this is the Absolutely. thing. Absolutely. Because we, it can be very, <laughs> very easy to say, okay, we just have a, an advocate. We have Jesus, uh, grace and everything else and not looking at what's our part mm. in this plan of salvation. Our part is to ask for forgiveness, to recognize our sinful state and, and, being incapable to do anything with yeah. that. 
And Nick, that's, that's why, good, but what's God's part? That's our part. What's God's part? Yeah, but that's what I'm saying because oh. it, it can be easily, it can be easily sidetracked. You know, uh, the mm-hmm. thing saying, okay, I don't want to know what's in the book of, uh, in the books recorded there because I, you know, I'm a sinful person. Yes, we are a sinful person by, by repentance, we became victorious over mm-hmm. sin with mm-hmm. Jesus through his blood, not through our own merits. Yeah. Good thought. Okay. Anybody else? Joe, um, I do. First of all, I want to thank you for summarizing it so well. But uh, what else have you got to share with us? I was just thinking about the question that you that uh, Len threw Len, out. Len brought out, yeah. I think judgment, judgment is more than just one thing. There are phases of judgment. There's the investigation. There's the the judgment itself, the pronouncing of the sentence, and then there's the execution of the judgment. Yes. Um, so we've got to take that into consideration. You're talking about the phases of the judgment, are you? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. There are more than okay. just one yeah. thing. But also, right. but also, there's if Jesus is the sacrifice, if he is the the mediator, if he is the prophet, if he is the all the roles that Jesus plays, I don't see there being a problem that he be the judge and the king and God. So basically it is some it is a mystery, isn't it? Yes. And I I think that for us to completely be able to be able to understand what, who does what and when is a little bit beyond our um scope. <laughs> mm. So yeah, I don't have a problem with Jesus fulfilling all role, all the roles. Yeah. Okay, Lynn. Well, I said it was a spanner in the works. You, you did throw question. the spanner in, Len, yeah. A, a question without notice. <laughs> That's okay. Jesus, Jesus said on one occasion, he said, I and the Father are one. And so whatever the Father wants, Jesus is happy to accept and vice versa. So I don't see there's actually a conflict. The whole Godhead is involved in judgment. Absolutely, and, yes. And... The reason I uh, put in that um, question without notice or that spanner I'm glad you because put it there in. might be some people who would say, well, it says here one thing and it says there another thing. Does that mean the Bible contradicts itself? No, I don't think so at all. I think we just have to see it in a broader context than just this or that in this case yeah. because Christ and the Father work together. Yeah, and just and, Len, uh, on adding on that one is not that um, the Bible is contradicting, or um, the problem is that we can look at texts in the Bible taking out of context, and that's the biggest problem with Christianity today. Sure. And with those sure. groups who like to emphasize mm-hmm. on a particular yep. thing, they can take it out out of context and make a, a doctrine out of it. Um, the problem is here that everything what happens. In the plan of salvation, it's on our benefit. And yeah. that's what we need to learn and to see where we fall into the picture as mm-hmm. uh, sinful, uh, as uh, I cannot even uh, find the words and describe our state. Mm-hmm. We are in a in bad state. Uh, uh, we're in a hopeless state. Uh, absolutely. But through Jesus <laughs> Christ, we yes. are in a very good uh, position because yes, we are. one who will represent us. And I think that's yeah. what we need to really emphasize. Well, that's more than good news. I think Helen said it was great news. Or did I say that? I'm not sure. <laughs> 
Helen. <laughs> yeah, if I can just add, I um, appreciate what Len said. I think if you do a study of the character um, of God, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they are all one. Yes. The Godhead in in their purpose, um, they're all everlasting, you know, I mean, and interchangeable. It's just that they have separate roles as well yes. when Jesus came to this earth. And that's to our advantage because as he mediates for us, he understands and, and so does the Father because he had the separation as well. So I don't think, I think people have problem if they try and separate and just say there is only God the Father and Jesus yes. wasn't a God and the Holy Spirit not. And I think therein lies the problem. If you, if you look at it and you study it and you realize that they are all one in purpose and one in mind, they're all involved in the judgment. Yeah, I, absolutely. Thanks, uh, Helen. That's a great comment. Think about Hebrews. I think it's about chapter four. I haven't got my Bible open to it, where it talks about he, that's Christ, is a merciful and gracious high priest because he was tempted in all points as we are yet without sin. To me, personally, that's the clincher as to why he can also be the judge because he clearly understands the struggles that you and I and our listeners go through day by day in wanting to be, as um, Lydia said, more like Jesus and wanting to reflect his character, wanting to be more like him. He understands the struggles we go through, and uh, therefore it, it uses the term merciful. Sometimes we're not too merciful to one another when someone falls. <laughs> we're a little bit less than merciful sometimes, but Christ is always merciful as because he understands what we're going through. Ken, you've got a brief comment to share with us, and then we'll have a look at our next question. Thanks. Yes, it's about <laughs> this judgment. The judgment is uh, really good news for believers because it is, it, it is a judgment that rules in their favor. It vindicates them. It's a judgment that uh, defeats their adversaries, uh, their adversaries, the, the dragon who is behind the terrible beasts that have persecuted believers in the past and will do so in the future. Now, of course, here we're talking about Satan, the devil. Yes. Now, this judgment I'm sure there are many people out there and Christians also who are really worried about this judgment because they don't fully understand it, I believe. Yeah. And they think that we're all going to sit down and God's going to look at us all and go through everything we've done. Now, my understanding is that when Jesus comes back, his reward is with him, as the Bible tells us. The Bible because does the say the judgment that, yes. is going on now in heaven for yes. all Christian people. And that when he comes back, we already have been judged and he's taken us to heaven. And this is really good news. And, of yeah. course, as we have been discussing, Jesus is our brother. He's the firstborn. And in a way, we're part of a club. I'm not sure that's maybe the best way to put it. But <laughs> it's maybe way, not the best analogy, but, yeah, I, I get the yeah, picture. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm not talking about us. I'm talking about all Christians out there who follow God's way and follow the Bible yeah. and uh, are associated with Jesus and do what he wants us to do. So yeah. when we look at the mess the world's in, and I'm sure there's a lot of people out there who've got a, a ton of weight on their shoulders, including Christians, but don't fully grasp how wonderful Jesus actually is and the amazing gift that he's given to all those who believe in him. And also, um, can the confidence we can have in him. 
Absolutely. The book of Hebrews is all about confidence, not confidence in ourselves. Confidence is in our high priest. Will, you had a comment for us. Yes, it's Ken that said this judgment really then is good news for believers because it is a judgment that rules in their favour. And I invariably think of Revelation 6 verses 9 and 10. Uh, Panel and listener paints a picture of many martyred saints who were persecuted and killed for their faith. And they're asking, they're crying out, how long, how long is it going to be, Lord, before you bring vindication and avenge the tortured deaths of millions who lived only for good but were pursued by evil opponents of the truth? And they were looking for a day when, as it were, scores would be settled and righteousness could at last triumph. Well, this is the day we're talking about. This is is the day they looked forward to, the ultimate day of judgment. Little wonder then that there is not only relief at last, but rejoicing and praise. Yes, the judgment is good news and the celebratory occasion uh, around the throne of God. Mm, Absolutely. Ken? I just wanted to, to go back for a quick second, Brent, yeah, sure. we were talking about at the very start, this letter to the Hebrews and uh, about people back then being really concerned and worried and falling away. And look, I don't believe anything's changed today. I think we are exactly the same people doing the same things. And God's word is trying to uh, encourage us and, uh, and make warn, us understand and that, us, that everything is running according to plan. We only have to stick to the plan. Yeah, good thought, good thought. Moving on to question, uh, the next question that we're looking at. Will, can you share with us Hebrews 12.26? Remember at the beginning of our study, we said that this study was about the unshakable kingdom. Well, this is where the first time in Hebrews where it mentions the word. I wondered, Will, if you could read the text and maybe share a little bit in the way of comments on what the author, Paul, is referring to here. Certainly. Let me read the text. Hebrews 12, verse 26 says, At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. Of course, God's judgment and God visiting the earth always accompanies, well, a shaking, an earthquake and and, and tremors and so on. And uh, that was when he appeared on earth um, to fight for his people. But of course, he says that one day he's going to shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. Let me just uh, comment. In the Old Testament, the shaking of the earth was a common figure for the presence of God. It shows up to deliver his people. For example, when Deborah and Barak fought against Sisera, God fought from heaven on their behalf. Wasn't it Halstone's will that he God reigned on the enemy? Yes, yes. God God, um, fights on their behalf. And and this is described as a powerful earthquake, actually, a shaking of the earth and mountains because of the presence of God. And we find the same image, again, appearing throughout the Old Testament when God arises to deliver the oppressed. Thus a shaking signaled God's judgment as he asserts his authority over the peoples of the earth. And it will happen again when he shakes earth and heaven in the final judgment scene. 
Yeah. Len, did you have a thought? What, what goes through your head, Len, when you think of this word shaking? Do you agree with Will? Do you think that that's... Yes, I agree. Mm-hmm. But I think of the metaphor that is used many times in the scripture yeah. describing God as our rock. Why rock? Because uh, a rock is usually a, a place of safety. Yes. All right. Mm-hmm. Now, I know we're going to discuss this a little bit um, more detail later on, but the whole earth is going to be shaken and the heavens. And I read in Second Peter 3, verse 10 and 11, yes. that the day of the Lord will come like a thief, the heavens will disappear with a roar, The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Well, that's a, that's a pretty significant event. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, it goes on to say, and then it's a, a a proposition. What kind of people ought you to be? Yes. And then the advice is given. You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God. And speed its coming. Now, it's been said a couple of times. If we're on God's side, a judgment is not going to be an event to fear. It's good news. But if you're not on God's side, there will be an event to fear. And here in this verse I've just read, and I could have read from Malachi chapter 4, I think it is the first verse. Yes. About how the whole earth and the heavens will be shaken. How that's going to occur, well, we've never seen anything of this scale ever before, so we don't really know. But we just have to accept the word of God. We do. Two things I want to highlight here. In God is safety. Mm -hmm. He is our rock. But the whole universe will be shaken, and uh, this is in a time yet to come. Yep. Mm. Joe? I'd like to take us back again to Daniel, if I might. Now, you, Daniel, you may. <laughs> well, it's all linked up, Hebrews, Daniel, Revelation. Yes, it is. Because they all point us to the last days. And in Chapter 2, we have the dream of the um, Nebuchadnezzar and the image. And you might remember that it went through sequential powers that ruled the earth throughout the time that was allotted to this planet. Yeah. And right at the end... It talks about a rock that was cut out, but not with human hands. And that's a phrase that comes up fairly often when it's to do with what God does. Yes. It struck the statue at its feet, and, of course, it all became like chaff on the threshing floor, and the wind swept them away without leaving a trace. There goes the dust. But the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. Here we have another uh, mention of the mountain. And the important thing is it says in those, when Daniel interpreted the dream, he said, in the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed. It will never be shaken, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever. This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of a mountain, but not by human hands, a rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold to pieces. And then he adds, he says, the great God has shown the king what will take place in the future. We're living in these times. Yes, the dream we are. is true. 
The dream is true and its interpretation is trustworthy. So I'd like to link that, you know, link it in with what we're talking Mm. about, the shakeable, the unshakeable, the Mount Mount Sinai, Mount Zion. You know, we use a lot of imagery which all connects and I think it's wonderful to study. Oh, it's it's fantastic subject, Joe. Um, it's interesting though that what you just read, where um, Daniel says the dream is certain and the interpretation sure. It's the only time in the whole of Scripture where prophecy, where someone makes the comment at the end of revealing what is going to happen, that that's exactly the situation. The dream is certain and the interpretation is sure. In other words, we can one hundred percent bank on it. And that is good news. Nick, you had a thought for us. Yeah, well, we just mentioned a lot of these things, the unshakable or shaking the heavens and the earth and all those things. I'd like to just quickly mention that Apostle Paul, <laughs> it's um, referring that uh, he was uh, raptured into up to the third heaven. Now, when you talk about heavens, we have to think because we can easily include the whole universe or yes. we can use different parts. And the Bible, if you listen to the Bible, talks a little bit about these levels, if you like, of heaven. What I want to just mention here, because it was alluded that people in the olden days in Israel, when the people of Israel, they encounter external help, as was mentioned before, when God came in to their aid. And, you know, they could see that's a supernatural intervention from God. That will be also, when we read in Hebrew, the shaken of the heavens and earth. Now, right now, in a troubled world, people are just putting their trust in their guns, in their ability, in their Mm -hmm. power, all Mm -hmm. those things. And we can see that he's not getting us anywhere. But God will intervene. And the heaven will be shaken again. Yes. And the earth is shaken right now. But what we need to trust is that when what Joe was mentioning about that rock coming down from heaven and, you know, hit, you know, that statue at the feet and that kingdom become an everlasting kingdom, an everlasting kingdom, that will be a kingdom which will never be shaken again. But right now we are witnessing the shaking of this world and God is going to come down and to sort out this mess and this problem. Yeah. That's what, that's where I see the, the connection, you know, with, with those passages in the Bible, but we need to look back in the history in the Bible to understand sure. that because otherwise mm. we can come with all sorts of interpretation. We can indeed. Helen, can you share with us something from Revelation 16 verses 17 and 18? <laughs> Um, we believe that there is still yet another shaking coming. Let me read Revelation 16, verses 17 and 18. And before I do that, let me mention that this whole chapter, chapter 16, is talking about bowls or from being poured out, the wrath of God. And it's judgment, isn't it? It's a judgment. judgment. It's a judgment. Yeah. I mean, you know, the first bowl, bowl is loathsome sores. The second one, the sea turns to blood. The third one, the waters turn to blood. The fourth bowl, men are scorched. No repentance. The fifth is darkness and pain. The sixth is Euphrates died up. But the seventh one 
is, um, whoa, this is the last one. And yes. let me read it. It's just amazing. It says, Then the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple of heaven from the throne saying, It is done. Yes. That's really interesting words. It is done. It is finished. There is no more. And it says, and there were noises and thunderings and lightnings, and there was a great earthquake, such a mighty and great earthquake as had not occurred since men were on the earth. And, you know, we can look through history and see some of the most horrendous earthquakes. There was a 7.3 magnitude one this morning in Japan. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, that other one took took 850,000 lives, you know, and it's just, um, I know how terrifying it is to be in an earthquake, but this is going to be worse than anything that we have experienced. And, you know, it's a final bowl of destruction and it's poured out on the wicked before Christ comes. And I think that's an important part to to think about, you know, is God just in pouring these judgments out upon the wicked? Yes. Well, I believe they've given many, many times to repent. And that's why I want to go to Hebrews 10, if I may. 26. No, you can go to it by all means. Thank you. And, and what it's... you've said so far, Helen, is really good because you touched on the fact that amongst the first six plagues, twice it mentions in there that they repented not. And, yeah. give, and gave glory to God. In other words, they were inveterate. It, I think the term is inveterate. They were inveterate sinners. They were not going to repent under any circumstance. No, obviously not. So therefore obviously God not. is very much just and merciful in destroying them. I believe that they had hardened their heart, but God had given them many, many chances. He was long-suffering, and um, I think you've got to combine the wrath of God with his grace and his long-suffering as well, Absolutely. his justice. Anyway, Hebrews ten twenty six so. says, For if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. Now, it's not saying, um, you know, you don't know it, Therefore, if you sin, well, just too bad. It's saying after we have received the knowledge of the truth and we're admonished in Scripture not to turn back when yes. we're given given that lie. But let me just quickly read 29.30. It says, of how much worse punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified as a common thing and insulted the spirit of grace? For we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And if I may just say that the point here is that there is no other acceptable sacrifice for sin than the death of Christ on the cross. And if someone deliberately rejects the sacrifice of Christ after clearly understanding the good news, the good news teaching about it, well, then there is no way for that person to be saved because God has not provided any other name in all heaven for people to call on to save them, you know. And, you know, you could say, well, how have people, you know, insulted and disdained even the Holy Spirit because this is all linked. The sacrifice of Christ is tied with the Holy Spirit and therefore to scorn Christ's sacrifice is to insult and disdain the Holy Spirit by arrogantly rejecting him. You know, the Holy Spirit is a person, not just a force of influence. And to reject him is to cut off the means of God's acceptance. You know, it's equivalent to blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. But, you know, I just want to finish by saying that God's power is awesome. And we need to remember that. His punishment is terrible. Yes, these words give us a glimpse into the holiness of God. He is sovereign. 
His power is unlimited and he will do as he promises. And the judgment is for those who've rejected God's mercy. For them, falling into God's hands will be a dreadful experience. They will have no more excuses. They will discover that they were wrong, but it'll be too late. For those who accept Christ's love and his salvation, however, the coming judgment is no cause for worry. Being saved through his grace, we have nothing to fear. And I hope and pray that every listener that's listening to our panel discussion today will give their hearts fully to Christ so that when the judgment comes, they will be one with him and they'll have nothing to fear. I I, um, second that, uh, Helen, very much. Um, Lydia, I wondered if you'd share in our next question, it talks about the saints possessing the, the kingdom. Uh, there's two, a couple of texts, Hebrews 12, 28 and Psalm 16, verse 8. Maybe they're the key ones we could have a look at. Would you be able to comment on those for us? That's a beautiful text that I want to read. It is, isn't it? In Hebrews it is a beautiful 12, text. 28. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful that and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. And uh, in uh, Daniel chapter 7, verse 27, it says, Then the sovereignty, power, and greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heavens will be handed over to the saints, the people of the Most High. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom, and all rulers will worship and obey him. In Psalms, it says, Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings from the wicked who assail me, from the from my mortal enemies who surround me. So in the end, the saints will possess the kingdom forever following the judgment. So these saints are the righteous people. They will not be shaken because they trust in God, the yes. creator, yes. sustainer, and uh, guarantees their survival. Uh, in Hebrew, um, there is a text in Hebrew, in Hebrew uh, chapter 1, uh, verse 10 to 12, is saying here about the permanence and stability which are associated with Jesus. And it's, it, it reads, you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe. You will roll them up like a garment. They will be changed, but you are the same, and your years will have no end. Mm, you also says that Jesus, Jesus' priesthood remain forever, as does the uh, the inheritance of the redeemed. So in the final judgment, those who hold fast in Jesus will not be shaken. Um, in Hebrew 12, 28 also says that we will receive a kingdom that cannot be shaken. This is a reference to Daniel 7, 18, which says that the saints will possess the kingdom forever. This is the kingdom that will shall never be destroyed, which is mentioned in Daniel 2.44. So the the saints, those who are born again, will receive the reward for which 
we longed for such a long time. I am included in those group. I would love to to be one of them. That's right, uh, Lidgy. We we all are. Len, you had a thought for us. Yes. Look at our final question for today. A very quick one. (laughs) That verse that Lidgy read from Hebrews 12, 28. 28, yep. Talking about we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and this is the hope that Christians have had for centuries. But it's interesting that the next verse, verse 29, says, For our God is a consuming fire. Here I see a contrast. In one hand, the people of God receive an eternal kingdom where there will be peace. But why put on that next little bit for our God is consuming fire? I think this is a kind of a warning to those who don't acknowledge God and serve him that the opposite to having eternal peace and security is death by fire. Yep. And and very quickly, Len, what you said there in the verse which Lydia kindly read out is that it says that those who worship and in reverence our God, because this is the the thing also, <laughs> if we don't revere God and worship God, then we should be concerned about his consuming judgment. fire. That is judgment. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Um, Joe? Just very briefly, I think the, the whole of Hebrews is not aimed at the secular mind or those who don't know God or don't no, care it's about not. God. Yeah. It's about people who were who were weighing their risks out and saying thinking being tempted to actually turn their back on Christ because it's easier that way. And so the warnings are there for them that, you know, you need to make your calling and election sure. You need to be you need to stand firm because if you don't, these t- other terrible things will happen. So it's encouraging yeah. them to stay on, keep on, rather than going back, fading away and leaving the path of righteousness. Thank you, Joe. Ken's going to share with us uh, Hebrews 13, 15 and 16. While we're looking at that one, Ken, just a final comment on the, the our God is a consuming fire. Do you realise fire does two things? One thing it does is purify. The other thing it does is destroy that which is not there. So I believe all what needs to be removed. So I believe God is a consuming fire. Um, we often find in Scripture that um, our trials and our persecutions purify us. It's like a purifying fire. But for those who refuse to accept God, it cuts away uh, that and destroys it. So fire works both ways. It works as a purifier but also was a cleanser. (laughs) That's a very good way to put that, Brenton. I'm reading here from Hebrews 13, verses 15 and 16. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of the lips that openly profess his name, and do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. Now, Basically, what this verse is saying here is that we should continually offer praise and thankfulness with our lips. In other words, remember all that God has done for us and continually doing for us. Yes. And to thank him and acknowledge him every day and to do good to others where we can. I think that's a wonderful summary, Ken. And um, there's a statement, isn't it, that says this selfishness and cold formality have well nigh extinguished the fire of love and dispelled the graces that should make the character fragrant. 
unless there is practical self-sacrifice for the good of others in the family circle, in the neighbourhood, in the church, and wherever we may be, then whatever our profession, we are not Christians. Len. Yes, I just want to comment about sacrifice of praise. Sure. Hebrew Christians were used to, in their former lives as Jews, offering sacrifices. Yes, they were. Animal sacrifices. But here, in some of his final words to the Hebrews, he's saying, no, not those sacrifices, the sacrifice of praise, to thank God for his, uh, for the salvation and for the hope of glory. Absolutely. That's wonderful. In summary, we are about to receive an unshakable kingdom. It's unshakable based on the fact that God's promises are unshakable. It's unshakable based on the fact that God's kingdom is unshakable, as Joe touched on earlier in our study. It's unshakable in regard to the fact that in this day and age, as all of us have commented on so far in this study, the situation in our world, the fluidity and the constant shaking of just about everything that we normally hold near and dear, and what do they call it? The international rule of law. We see that sort of thing being breached all the time. But the the God that is coming to take us to be with him, his kingdom will last forever. And we, as a panel and as listeners, all have an opportunity to be part of that kingdom. My prayer today is that none of us will be lost, that each of us will be ready to receive the unshakable kingdom when Jesus returns. May God bless us as we have studied this subject together. I wonder, Will, could you close with prayer for us, please? Certainly. Our Heavenly Father, we have become so used to instability and upheaval in this old world and need to heed the promise of our Lord that he is establishing a kingdom for the redeemed that will not ever be shaken. Yes. Kingdom of peace and tranquility and praise, as we have read, and that forever. We long to be part of that inheritance, and we ask you if we can all be there in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you so much, everyone, for uh, your participation today. Uh, this is a study or was a study which it can be extended over hours, but um, the book of Hebrew, you know, it's a wonderful book and I will encourage every uh, one of our listeners, you know, to look back into the book of Hebrews and uh, yeah, give it enough time to speak to us all. But we are going to invite you to come back with us next time because we are going to conclude this series of studies in regard to the message of uh, Hebrews in the last days. And next topic, it's a wonderful one. And I hope each one of us, we can be part of that, saying, let brotherly love continue. Until then, may God richly bless you and keep walking in the footsteps of Jesus.